It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. As always, it's a great pleasure to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And my guest today is a man who made his name with... Fitzroy. He was one of the biggest presences in football in his day. He's still got a big presence in football. And it's been a while since I've seen him. Matt Rendell, Matty, welcome. Thanks very much, Peter. Pleasure to be here. It has been a while since we've caught up. Oh, it's got to be at least 20 years. We used to have uh, just the odd sip, you and your big brother, Tim. I mean, he made you look like a midget, really, didn't he? Uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was about, in the old terms, an inch and a half taller than me, yes. So, uh, no, we were pretty social in the 80s. Peter, uh, everyone really, you caught up with everyone, <laughs> and, I, and I was just remarking, I saw Michael Lovett downstairs, and uh, hadn't seen him for ages too, but all those old reporters, and mm. uh, we're all, I said, made a remark, we're all still in the game, the young blacks haven't got rid of us yet. Is it a shame, Maddie? and I know the professionalism of the game takes over a little bit, but is it a shame that there's not just a little mixture of that that goes on in the game these days? Um, geez, it's a, it's a good question, and... Uh, uh, clearly, there's a bit of it, but uh, not to a certain extent what we were, you know, in our day. But um, look, big money, when people are getting paid big money, supporters and sponsors expect them to do the right thing and behave, uh, look after themselves um, and do the right thing uh, to get that big money. And But I, I had a little joke the other day with uh, Scott Prendlebury and... Um, I was, I'm trying to think of the other Collingwood player and, and uh, I was talking about the money they're getting paid. <laughs> and they said to me, said, what was a Coke worth back in the 80s? <laughs> so they, so ve- effectively they were saying it's all relative. But, but <laughs> <laughs> I've got, yeah, I said, well, there was only a handful getting plenty of day back in the 80s, but uh, there's a lot more getting paid now. And, and what, these uh, players and that who were, you know, 30 or so, they wouldn't remember that... Um, I'm trying to think of the year, Peter, but you remember at 86, 87, mm. no one would pay for the television rights yeah. for football. 87 Channel, it was. 87 and Channel 2 did it. Yeah. So there was zero television money for the footy and that would be a shock to a lot of the players today. Yeah, but, what happened was uh, I think Broadcom was the company that came in yeah. and they actually bought the rights yeah. and they were going to subcontract them Yes. and Channel 7 said, we're not doing that. We've yes. always done it the other yeah, way. Exactly. And so, as you say, the okay. ABC came in. No, that's right, Broadcom. And and the other thing they wouldn't know, but 1981, attendances stood for about 25 years. On a long weekend, I can't remember which weekend, might have been Queen's birthday or something, and we, we must have played Saturday and 
we went to a, we were going to go. There was two games on the on the Sunday, and one of them was out at Waverley, and one of them was at uh, South Melbourne's old ground, and they were playing Essendon, South Melbourne, and uh, um, I can't. The the Waverley one was um, memorable, but because they locked the gates. And I think they had 92,000 in there. Was that so, Hawthorne and Sydney? Uh, no, Hawthorne and, some, Hawthorne and someone. Yeah. Anyway, so me and my mates were going out there and, and we found out they locked the gates. We were halfway there. So we took, we'll go to Swans and Essendon. And, and we got there and the gates were locked, were shut. Oh, right. You couldn't get any more people in. Uh, it's amazing. You'd never see that today. But 92,000 at Waverley, it was a disaster. And I think after that game, they cut their uh, attendance, so yeah. they, they, they had a limit on it. Um, I think they let people sit inside the fence that day of Waverley, um, if, if I remember correctly. Anyway, so, um, yeah, there's a lot of things the players of today wouldn't know about back in the 80s, but, uh, yeah, everything's... Uh, but they're quite right, everything's relative. Uh, house prices and uh, cost of living and all that sort of stuff. If, you, if you're prepared to tell me, what was the biggest contract you were on? Uh, in dollar terms, I reckon in one year I got about seventy-five. Yeah. Now that was after uh, I reckon I so I arrived in eighty-one, eighty-two. Signed so a signed a two-year. So it was eighty-three, eighty-four, another two-year. I reckon it was eighty-five or eighty-six, uh, where I signed another two-year. Um, and probably I mean, thought you were rolling in it. Oh, absolutely. But but you find out later that. <laughs> Bernie Quiddler and Gary Wilson were getting a, a truckload more than what I was getting. But, they, but mind you, they were superstars of the game. But um, no, those first four years at the junction were uh, great years and I had four pretty good years there. You're yeah. still involved in the game these days, of course, uh, yep. and you have been ever since your playing days, yep. really. What are you doing now? You're at Collingwood? I've been, I'm in my seventh year at Collingwood doing recruiting. Um, so the first five years, we, we, a team of four there. Uh, Derek Hine in charge of it, um, Don Malishi, Adam Shepherd, myself. And uh, the last two years, so last year, Ned Guy came in to do list management and I moved to do, it was basically pro scout stuff. So I watched a lot of VFL, AFL, more AFL than I normally watch. I watch a lot anyway, but I was watching a lot live. And the VFL, which I enjoyed, gave me a good um, a perception of the, the VFL, which I hadn't watched a heap of. And this year I'm doing more um, more of the uh, what we call the futures. So I'm doing a lot of 16s, 17s because um, we believe that they they're going AFL are going to bring in that you can trade two years in advance in the draft. So you better know how good the 16s draft pool looks like if you're going to be trading picks out of it. So mm. so a lot of clubs are spending a lot more time on doing the. A lot of them do the 17s, but now they're going to be doing you know strong with the 16s as well. What is it that you can see that other people can't see? I mean, everybody's essentially looking at the same pool of yep. talent. What is it? Is it a bit like a Bart Cummings that Bart Cummings could look at a horse and see something that wasn't necessarily obvious to the eye? Um, see, I, I, I used to have to write in the in the um, in the uh, what's Adelaide? What was it called? They used to, uh, the yearbook or whatever at the end of the year there yeah. used to be a thing from the recruiter when I was there and uh, so I used to have to write a page on recruiting and uh, the year I picked Brody Smith at about 13 or 14 I, I opened with uh, Joe Bloggs from up the road could have picked Brody Smith <laughs> uh, that's the, they're the easy ones um, but look I talk about 
influence a lot. And sometimes influence isn't easy to see. Um, Rory Sloan went 44 in that draft, and I thought his influence in games was huge. Not a big possession getter, uh, awkward kick, still is. Um, but every time he got it, there was a little knock-on or a little deft handball or, a, you know, kick a goal when you need one. And um, he had massive influence, and that's carried through. Brody Grundy, I didn't do that. I wasn't here doing That was a year I was out of footy, but I did some stuff with the, with the, um, uh, the South Australian state team at the time. And so I got to know Brody really well. So I watched a lot of his games, and I, and I did the stuff the year before. So I was a bottom major, and then there was a top major in the draft. And at the end of, you know, in his draft year, I've gone, he's the most influential player in the comp, in the draft. But you've got to really look at his ruck work and you've got to say, how much do you value the follow-up? How much do you value his pressure? Um, how much do you value when the game's on the line, how good he was? And clearly not a lot of, lot of people <laughs> saw that because mm. uh, he went up pick 18. Um, now... I know they say they like to say with the ruckman, oh, do we want, we've got to have this bloke for four years. What if we have him for four years and he's no good? That's what happens with the ruckman. So, so they tend to, if you take the ruckman out of it, they tend to say, well, all right, if we miss one, too bad. But it, you know, in two years' time, if it's looked like he's tracking okay, we'll revisit. Um, unfortunately for the big blokes, that's the way it is. But I always talk about uh, so the really important bits. A lot of people, everyone can see the talent. The really important bids I, I talk to people about is influence. Not as hard, not as easy to see. You've got to really watch a bloke. I mean, you've got to take the whole game out of it and watch him and what he's doing. Who's he talking to? His leadership, direction. Phil Davis was a cracker when I watched him play early days and I'm watching him and I'm going, oh, you're going to captain the club, you are. You know, I mean, because I just watched him for a whole game and watched him direct people. Talk, he wasn't the best player by a mile. But you could tell he had, and then when you interview him, he's smart as a whip. Um, and you go, well, he's going to influence players. Um, so I know I'm talking about, I'm pumping my own tyres up, talking about blokes I picked, but that's, but that's what I, uh, and there's, don't worry, there's plenty of misses. So that influence stuff is really watching a player and what they do. And, and you've got to be, be, be prepared to stop watching the game mm. to be able to do that. And, uh, also, the interview process and the psychological stuff is critical. And now, they do a raft of tests. Um, oh, look, I, I pay attention to them, but the interview process is the most important process. And doing your homework um, around the interview. Oh, I need to speak to his teacher. I need to speak to teammates. I need to speak to opposition. Um, you know... There's a lot of groundwork you do outside the player that the players wouldn't know about. Mm. And that's crucial to get a, a really good snapshot of, is this bloke going to handle the training? Is he going to be resilient? Uh, how badly does he want to play? Um, uh, what's his motivation? All that sort of thing. They've all got different motivations. So um, there's a, you know, on a particular player, you do a stack of work on them because you, because you need to get it right, as we've seen, Peter, over the years. You can stuff your old club if you have a couple of bad drafts. One last point, Matty, on the on the whole philosophy and the job. It's a very time-consuming job, obviously. If you're going to a game to watch one person, yep. one person only, 
So you might not spend a, a lot of time at home. How's the other half going, Leonie? No, she's going. I think she's happy that I'm out of the house. <laughs> the truth, <laughs> right? Um, look, because <laughs> we have a history, Leonie and I. Yes. She used. She used. To, I don't want to reveal this on air but, too uh, much, but she used to play with my hair nearly every day. She did too. Yeah, uh, she's played with a lot of people's hair yeah. and put a lot of people's makeup on. Yes, that's the reason she was. In charge of makeup at Channel Ten there yes, for a while. For I think thirteen years. Yeah. So they did all their. Um, oh, she got a lot of stories about all their um, neighbours. Neighbours. She used yeah. to do all the neighbours stuff and that. So uh, a lot of people, you know, ask her a lot of questions about all those old shows. So she uh, wouldn't have any about the sports department. So that's no, good. no. We've talked about uh, your recruiting side of things, but I want to talk about the time when you were getting a kick and taking a mark, and okay. you uh, sounded a bit like Tommy Hafey there, didn't I? <laughs> taking a mark and getting a kick. Uh, and you've got plenty of those, and we'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break. And as we go to the break, I want to get the definitive pronunciation of your name because it's been pronounced a few different ways over the year. We used to say Matt Rendell. Well, that that was really uh, Lou Richard started that, but he used to put it in is it inflection, the right thing, on yeah. basically everyone's name, but it's Rendell. Rendell. Yeah. So it's Matt Rendell who is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. More with Matty coming up after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Matt Rendell on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Right, Matty, take us back to the beginnings. Where did you grow up? Um, look, I was born in Adelaide. Uh, lived in Mount Gambier from uh, 7 to 10. Played one game with West Gambier as a 10-year-old. Went to Morris Brothers down there. Oh, look, she wasn't much of a town there, back then. But, um, I mean, the big attraction, obviously, was the Blue Lake. But, uh, yeah. oh, she's a big tourist town now. I've been back a couple of times, gone through there and had a look at the old house and all that down the Valley Lakes. Fantastic spot. Came up and lived in Lockleys. Played at uh, West Torrance. Uh, played at Flinders Park, actually, as a junior. Then went to West Torrance. And then played league. Who was your coach? Neil Curley was a coach. So I came in when uh, the state game was on. So we lost a couple of players to the state game. So did Glenelg. So my first game was in the ruck playing on uh, Wayne Phillips. I was shitting myself to tell the truth, Peter. <laughs> I, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get knocked out here for sure. Said. But uh, he was pretty good. I played all right. Basically stayed in for the next four years. Played under Knuckles came in that year. So the first year I played, he he was... And uh, they tried to get Graham Corns over, and and he wouldn't get. They wouldn't clear him in the end. What sort of a coach was Neil? Yeah, oh, he was tough. He was hard. Um, he had a good sense of humour. Um, I say to people, I was very lucky to play my first four years under Neil Curley, because one thing he told you about was discipline, and training hard, and and um, having a crack. I, I mean he. He left a fair bit desired on the tactical side of it. But, that, you know, he was a rah-rah coach, uh, which was basically the norm back then. But he was rah-rah more than most. He was a tough player. Um, you know, I was a Glenelg follower and, and uh, I love watching him and all those blokes uh, uh, from Glenelg back in those in the 70s. That was fantastic. But uh, he, was, he was super. I, I, look, I really enjoyed... Uh, playing under him, you knew, always knew where you stood with him. You can get stuffed up in your first few years if the, mm. if the club you've been drafted to hasn't got it right, Peter. How I ended up at Fitzroy, we played a practice match against Fitzroy at the end of 79. 
So, uh, sorry, so the beginning of 79. Uh, it was our last practice, was their last practice match. Uh, sorry, make that beginning of 80. So after they made the finals. And uh, I played um, on Ron Alexander in the ruck. Now, I got knocked out by Jerry McCarthy in the first five minutes of the game, got this hospital handball, got cleaned up, and I'm try- and I'm walking off. And I had to walk to the – Neil Curley built a box, coach's box, on top of the little box on the side, and he stood up outside the box. So there's a practice game, mind you, and looked at me and said, you get back on that ground because the trainer was taking me off. So I turned around and went back. Well, I played a blinder, Pete. I still remember it to this day, and about 27 touches played on Roland Alexander. We nearly won the game. Neville Roberts played in it. Uh, that was his first year back, I think, from Richmond. Anyone else have a bit yeah, of a nibble? Yeah, well, Footscray, but um, I can't remember who I spoke to there, but uh, really they dropped off. Uh, I ended up signing with Fitzroy at the end of that year, so 1980. Uh, uh, they had a bad year. Um, uh, I think they finished bottom or second bottom, and they wanted me to come over. Now, Peter, back then, if you had a contract, you didn't break contracts. Mm. You didn't change clubs and break a contract. I still had a year to go on my contract, which was nine. Sorry, that was 79. That was, sorry, I've stuffed that up. That was 79, so 80 was my last year of my contract. It was an interesting first season, so I kept doing my thigh, obviously because I wasn't conditioned. And anyway, I got to play one practice game, and it was on. It was against Geelong, and it was on a bloke called Ramsey Boganovich, who um, he was a great white hope, supposedly. In the ruck, he was, I think he was from WA, but he was, you know, he was a man mountain. He was a 203, four, um, big tough bloke. Anyway, I kicked his ass in this practice game. Anyway, I didn't get picked for the first game, but I hadn't done it. Like, my thigh actually got came, pulled up sore after the game. So they said to have another week. So we had another week and then they played the first game. And we played, a, as you did back then, so we played Collingwood at at, um, at the junction. 30,000 they had at the junction. You couldn't fit them in, mate. Yeah. <laughs> when people looked back, go, you fit 30,000 in the junction? Give me a spell. They had 30,000. Graeme Hinchin made his debut. Scotty Clayton uh, made his debut. I'm not sure. Graeme Hinchin definitely. Anyway, it was a cracking game, you know, 19 goals to 18 or something like that. Anyway, so... As you did back then, Peter, on Tuesday night training, you played another practice match. <laughs> match practice every Tuesday. So Mouth guards I, in or not? Yeah. So I joined into the practice match and I kicked ass in the practice match. <laughs> and they said, well, you're in this week because I think Chris Hanson was their full forward and he he, had, he really never played there before his life. I hadn't played there hardly. I've mainly been the ruck. So I played full forward that game. Um the first, the first game, that, which was against Melbourne at Waverley, and I played on, um, oh, I can't think of his name, Wayne Gordon. And Wayne Gordon, I reckon he died probably 10 years later from mm. cancer. Yeah. Uh, that was the first game I played. And the next game I played on Jeff Southby at, at uh, Carlton, and the next game I played against South Melbourne at home. Because so you played as a forward originally. The whole you? year I played as a forward and did a little bit of ruck work with uh, Ronnie Alexander. So he was our ruck and he was a star, really competitive beast. So I ended up just being the full forward. And even then there was a there was a patch there during the year where uh, I was going no good. I said, I'm going to get dropped. But they kept me in there because we kept winning. And they thought, oh, I, I reckon the, the theory was that 
uh, was attracting a bit of attention and allowed the others to uh, do some stuff because I, I struggled there for a patch. Then I did a hammy. But then I came back and I was I was good again. I remember playing on Brent Croswell and kicking six on him, and that was an interesting um, interesting day with the verbal and him and uh, Croswell and uh, Crackers Keenan. He verbalised all day. So, uh, yeah, so that was my first year playing as a full forward, and then Ronnie went back home, mm. uh, back to WA. I think the coach, maybe. Um, but anyway, he became a force back there. He ended up being the first. Eagles coach. Ca- Eagles coach. Yeah. And uh, the punters might not know this, but he was in charge of the building of the Optus Stadium. So he worked. He worked for the government in sport. Okay. And uh, they gave him the portfolio. Or no, no, he wasn't working for the government then. But they said, "Can you project manage um, the building of the new Optus Stadium?" So he did that. Gee, it's and, a great stadium. Have you been there? Yeah, yeah I have. Yeah, a little fantastic. bit high up, but you wouldn't be that high up. But she's a little bit higher than. Um, being at uh, Marvel Stadium. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but uh, no, he, do, he did a great – I saw him at the airport, Ronnie, um, uh, last year sometime, and I said, oh, you've done a good job. He said, mate, never again. He said that was a nightmare. <laughs> uh, clearly not used to it. He's yeah. not uh, – but they wanted someone they knew to try and control the whole thing. But uh, anyway, that's that was – and the next year I ended up going to the ruck, so – and played there at the – there for the rest, basically the rest. Why don't we take a break? Because I want to talk about the era at Fitzroy. When we think about Fitzroy, we think about the untimely demise of the football club, but they were very close to winning a premiership in the 80s. Yep. Let's go back and uh, revisit that when we come back on the other side of the break. Matt Rendell is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's a fascinating chat with Matt Rendell on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Matty, I touched on it before the break. We have this perception of Fitzroy, poor old Fitzroy, that eventually in the 90s they succumbed to all of the financial woes that they had. But you were a really good football team in the middle of the 80s and could have easily won a premiership. I was very lucky again. I spoke about Neil Curley having a, him as a, as a coach. Robert Walls came in to coach me at the perfect time. So this was his first year, was uh, my first year. So 1981. He wasn't the first choice, so Peter. I don't know if people would remember this, but when I said I was coming over, they said, we've got Alan Jeans to coach us. And I said, oh, that'll be good. He's got a good record. <laughs> By the time I got there, it changed to Robert Walls and <laughs> Alan Jeans made a very, very smart decision and went to Hawthorne and won four, four odd flags there. But Walsey was fantastic. Uh, so people ask me what he was like. I go, hard but fair. Mm. Uh, Walsey was a school teacher, but um, he really understood the psychology of the player. And that comes through in a, in a lot of the good coaches. Uh, Grant Thomas was a genius at it, um, really understood the psychology of the player, what made them tick, uh, what they needed to hear, uh, what they didn't need to hear, keep it simple, keep it short. And the other thing he was really good at, he um, he got the players, so this is way before leading teams and Ray McLean, he got the players to take ownership. So, <clears throat> uh, look, we didn't know what sort of team we had in 81, but, we, but um, after they... After 80, when they were, they had a disaster and finished last, I think. But 
Um, you know, it all sort of came together in 81. Uh, we beat... So this was the year that um, Essendon won about 15 in a row and when Neil Danaher was on fire and they lost their first six, I think, Essendon, stormed into the finals. We were sort of up there the whole year. I think the Carltons and Collingwoods, Geelong might have been on top at the time. And we played uh, Essendon in the first final at Waverley. And, like, we were massive underdogs. Well, Bernie Quinlan and Gary Wilson were, were outstanding. We rolled them. So they lost Danaher, I think, the week before, or might have been the week before that, who was who was playing super footy. Um, and uh, everyone went out there to watch them win, and we rolled them. And I think a few of the other clubs were happy we did that. Um, the following week, we played Collingwood at... at um, MCG, and uh, they were eight up at half time. Eight, not eight points, eight goals. Oh, we got back in front by 10 points at about the 32 minute mark mm. of that game. They ended up kicking two late goals the last two minutes. So the, go- I don't know, the game went, I mean, it was high scoring, but it, it was, uh, you know, went uh, 34, 35 minute mark in the last quarter. We lost by a point. Uh, we were pretty confident of playing. Uh, so, uh, we liked our chances against Geelong, so that's who Collingwood played. Collingwood beat Geelong out of Waverley uh, after that. And uh, then they got um, obviously beaten by Carlton. Carlton had made their way straight through. So there were a chance that year. Probably didn't think of it, we were ready for it. Um, but in hindsight, given mm, the fact that you lost by a point, was yeah, that the closest that you would have No, come? no, the closest was, uh, was 83. Um, so the next year we had a different start to the year. Stormed home, missed the finals by half a win um disappointing year to tell the truth um couldn't can't put my finger on anything in particular there that year uh, other than we had a poor start I don't, I don't know why but um i had a poor start that year too and uh played really well in the second half but um but i was i was probably in line with everyone else to tell the truth pete um so the next year we had a we had a we had a great year and we were on top for various various periods of time. Uh, dropped a couple late, finished third. Okay, uh, I think North were on top. Uh, we'd beaten North by ten goals and twenty goals at both games that year, so we were confident about them. We, our first game we played was Hawthorne. Um, now this is when injuries can cruel you because Laurie Sharafini was our key back and was a star. Last game of the year, last 10 minutes of the game, I think it was against Richmond, he, he did a hammy and came out. So we really didn't have a proper replacement for him. And in the final against Hawthorne, we had Sticks Laurie, who shouldn't have really been playing on Peter Knights, and Glenn Coleman, who could but probably wasn't suited to their best player, was Knights. Knights kicked six. Now, Bernie kicked eight. Five in the last quarter, we went down by four points, and the, any of the listeners out there will remember that's the controversial game where they gave the deliberate out of bounds against Michael Nettlefold, mm. and, and virtually the umpire let Tuck kick the ball from straight in front. No, he not quite, but he got a massive. Uh, he should have been on the boundary line. He was in about ten, fifteen meters, and kicked the goal. We lost by four points, um, and the next week. Uh, we had to play a rampaging incident. This is when they were the menacing incident. This is when they were smashing everyone. Uh, physically, 
crazy side that you, I mean, uh, just to name a few, Ronnie Andrews was playing, Rene Kink was playing back then, uh, Terry Dano, he was half mad, Terry, when he was going, uh, Stan Carey, um, and also the, the, some of the listeners out there uh, can't ring in, but they'll, they'll remember that they had seven or eight really, oh, Roger Merritt, um, we we were in front by seven points at three-quarter time in a physically bruising game. Uh, Gary Sidebottom did his knee in the first quarter like he needed to Rico and kept playing. Um, but we got run over in the last quarter by four goals. But in that game, we had to play Graham Hinchin, who was a small back on Terry Danner because that's how light on we were for key backs. So, and he, Terry had a good game, kicked three or four, and was probably the difference, you know, in the end. So, that injury to Laurie Serafini really hurt us that year because mm. he would have played on the Danaher. He would have played on the Knights, and it was hard, damn hard to get a kick on him, and that hurt us big time. That was our chance. And 86, uh, look, we fell into the the top under David Park and fell into the uh, the five, I think it was there, but we had two... Once again, we played Essendon and uh, in bucketing rain out at Waverley, one by a point of famous game. Yeah, Mickey uh, Collin. Mick, Mickey Collin, he got his ass pulled, uh, pants pulled down by Michael Thompson for the whole game. Had about three kicks or something, didn't he? Yeah, lucky. And uh, <laughs> uh, Leon Harris never gets any credit for that. Uh, Rusey doesn't get any credit either. Rusey laid a tackle. That was rare. The following week, we played uh, Swanee. So Swanee's were all the flavour of Jared Healy yeah. um, and uh, Greg Williams and the like. Back then, and we rolled them by five, and then we had to play Hawthorne in the plenary, and we were absolutely knackered, and we fell in there. We kicked the first three goals of the game in that game. We ended up losing by nine, but uh, we would have had to play Carlton in the final, I think it was. Uh, we would have lost eight players out of that plenary final. We wouldn't have come up the next week. It would have been a disaster, so... Um, I think we did everyone a favour not winning. It would have been the worst grand final in history, but... Um, 83 was the one that Laurie, uh, the Laura Serafini won, but uh, really competitive all the way through. Mm. 84, we had a mountain of injuries. Uh, we were 5 and 11. Peter, uh, injuries can kill you. Uh, we had a mountain of them. 5 and 11, we sent out Leon Harris, Mickey Conlon, Scotty Clayton for uh, operations that finished their year right at that time. Um, brought in some kids who hadn't played. We won six in a row and scraped into the final. Uh, level with Collingwood at, in a, in the final at uh, three-quarter time, got done by 10. Mm. I think Cloak might have kicked about – he might have kicked 10. He kicked a lot anyway, uh, playing a full forward. But um, we were just hanging on for dear life that year. But good experience for the young blokes. Speaking of injuries, when you've got a body as big as yours was, how did you go towards the end of your career? Was the body just holding together? Well, uh, when I retired, it was really easy. I was knackered. Mm. Um, so, you know, some people have still got something in the tank. I had zero. Um, I was in minus territory, I think. Um, oh, look, I had a lot of back-related hamstring problems. Would you get them so much today? Probably not, because you'd have more time to um, get looked after. But you didn't have a heap of time back then. You know, when you trained and you worked and... Um, uh, Oddly enough, Pete, I had hotels for four years back then. They were the four years where I, I uh, had my best years. And, you know, looking back, 
I know why. I was on my feet all day and I, my body became resilient. Um, I wish I had had them for 10 years. But um, so I had a lot of back hamstring problems. I had to deal with that thigh problems. I reckon they're all back related. Uh, it was always an issue, the back. Um, but I was lucky with knees and ankles. I dislocated the shoulder. Billy Brownrus buried me into Princess Park one day um, off a terrible handle from Billy Loken. Um, and Not that had, you hold a grudge or anything no, against Billy. No, Billy, Billy. It went way behind me. I just, uh, so <laughs> um, I had to turn around, and by that time, Billy just buried me into the turf. I dislocated him. I had a reco on that, missed the last four games of the year. Uh, that 80, 84 year, I missed the six games in the in the early part of the year. I dislocated my other shoulder, but I didn't need a reco on that. Um, other than that, um, I just had to manage back hamstring type stuff. But uh, 90, 91 was my last year at Fitzroy. It was my last year of my contract. So why uh, did you go to Brisbane? You went to Brisbane for one year. Was that basically yeah. for Wolsey's sake? It, it was. So, uh, look. Scotty Clayton was doing, um, who's my best mate, uh, rang me about, um, do you want to play another year? So I kept running and doing bits of st- stuff. I just wanted to keep fit. You know, after, um, I felt so much better after a month off. Um, anyway, he said, we've got no ruck on it. We've got a young bloke um, up here, um, Coco Miller, I'm trying to think of his first name, uh, who was uh, a big bruising uh, lump of a kid, uh, competitive kid. Um, he said, but we got no one else who can play in the ruck up here. Can you come up and give us a hand? Well, basically it went like that. So I said, yeah, okay. I said, I, I'm not sure I got a whole year, but I'll, I got a fair whack, I reckon. So I did my thigh up there when I got up there. I missed the first eight games of the year, played the last 13, but it was funny in another practice match. So all the when I got up there, they were all raving about Coco Miller. I remember this, uh, how good he was, and he looked fantastic at training. And um, so we, in our first practice match, I played on Coco Miller and kicked his ass. <laughs> they were they were all deflated. Well, <laughs> give me a spell, will you? I said, "What about me?" I really, really enjoyed that year. I glad I went. Um, there was a lot of so. This is the year after the Strempel stuff. Um, he, he cleaned out a lot of the players that were there. Uh, you got to start to get a good bunch of kids in. In three years' time, you blokes are going to make the finals. And they look at me, come on, give us a break. Three years' time, they made the finals. Mm-hmm. So who was playing then at the time? So Daryl White. Yeah, You just stood back and watched him train. He was just magnificent. Michael Voss came in and played as a 16-year-old. So he kicked 16 goals in one of the Division Two games of the under-18 champs and then played for us the next week. <laughs> played on the wing. On Johnny Blakey, had about 27 and kicked three. Mm. I think Johnny was barred then. I think Johnny ended up at North after that game, end of that year. Uh, I played at full forward ruck, and Rod Owen played full forward and kicked eight on Lynchy, Alistair Lynch. Mm. Uh, he was a talent, Rod Owen. Sadly, didn't get to see the best of him. He was a super talent. It built the foundation for one of the great teams, one of the great clubs in uh, any era of football. We're just about out of time, Muddy. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about your assistant coaching career and plenty of other things as we wrap up our chat with Matt Rendell on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our final segment with Matt Rendell on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Uh, Matty, plenty of assistant coaching roles um, after your playing days. You were at various clubs at various interesting times. I remember at Melbourne, it was a bit turbulent when you were there. I reckon the first half of my assistant coaching um, roles, were, I was the kiss of death. <laughs> so I... <laughs> I went to Melbourne. Barmy was coaching. Nine games in, he got the arse of Joe Gutnick, who was the uh, financial backer of the club. Uh, we had a horrendous run of injury uh, at the time. Uh, but uh, I ended up coaching the reserves. Greg Hutchison coached the league. At the end of the year, I lost my job. Neil Danner came in as coach. Uh, what a lot of people wouldn't know is that he went and replaced me with Chris Fagan, who got him from Tassie. So he interviewed like half a dozen people and I'd, I didn't keep my job, but I, I knew I wasn't going to keep it. I knew he wanted one of his own and Greg Hutchin was always going to stay there. So this is when you only had two assistant coaches. Mm. Um, so I ended up doing bits and pieces that you did some stuff for Rocket Eat at the Swans, who I knew very well. And the next year they rang up and said, can you come back at Melbourne? So I did another year there. Um, that So Neil Dano's first year was great. But when I came back, it wasn't that great. <laughs> Injuries again. And then I got uh, Choco Williams rang me up from Port Adelaide, where I think he'd already done a year. They made the finals. I came in. They made the finals. That's right. They lost to North, I think, in the rain uh, somewhere. I came in. We had a disaster. Uh, I told them they were going to have a disaster. Their preseason was abysmal. Um, anyway, they fixed that up. So it's funny how these things work. So the next year, because Choco had been at, Essendon before that, uh, and he knew that I, I kept telling him, mate, you've got to get this pre-season right. It was a shocker. I could have done it. Um, it was that easy. And you know when he went and got? Uh, so Quinny was the, I can't think of his first name, he was the uh, the guru at Essendon when they won the flag. His assistant was Andrew Russell. So Choco went and got Andrew Russell. Andrew Russell did the pre-season. Superstar Andrew Russell at his job. He got Port back into the finals. And look, I ended up leaving. I, look, to tell the truth, I found it very difficult to work with uh, Phil Walsh and Choco, who were best mates, but it was hard, damn hard work. Uh, so I ended up leaving and, and ended up going to St Kilda with Grant Thomas uh, as an assistant coach. And he was, he was outstanding. I learned more in that five years than I'd learned my whole career with footy. And it was basically around how you develop culture, spirit morale, allowing people to do their jobs, player empowerment, how to deal with different personalities and not treat everyone the same and how to be, you know, how to read people. He was outstanding at it. And now coaches keep coming back to it. They've made it very complicated. They keep coming back to what's important. And he was so far ahead of his time, Peter, it wasn't funny. Uh, A lot of the stuff he started back there, you know, the big leadership groups and the trips away for pre-season um, you know, everyone's community camps. He started the community camp. He, he managed to get 10 grand off Andrew Dimitro from AFL to do a community camp down in Warrnambool in his first year. Unbelievable. He, he took the team to England, South Africa, China, 
all in pre-season camps. Uh, I know it's everyone started doing it, but um, not as many are doing it now. But uh, there was so much stuff, and um, I reckon he was the first bloke to use process. As we come to the end of our chat, Matty, we've had a lot of laughs in the last hour, but there was one period going back about seven years ago now where it was a pretty dark period for you in footy. You were branded as a racist, one of the worst mm. things you can say about anyone. I was having a strong discussion with a bloke I knew really well. I worked with him at St Kilda as assistant coach. We had, I think that year, if I can remember correctly, and don't hold me to the, the figures here, I think 17 Aboriginals might have been delisted at that year and there was a lot of apprehension about you know why that was because they're all extremely talented individuals. We had a discussion about, mate, you need to do something about this. You know, there's too many talented kids falling by the wayside. It was basically the basis of the discussion, and I gave him suggestions. You know, we need to get these kids into colleges in Victoria, get them into the TAC. The TAC was now the NAB, was the, is the best feeder comp to AFL. It is the most like, it's tough, well coached, well managed, and if we could get the you know the Aboriginal kids into that system and and get and basically get them into schooling as well. Uh, I'm talking about the most vulnerable ones. So my son, my brother worked at Ross Trevor. Ross Trevor been taking 40 Aboriginals. They have 40 boarders every year. Um, they they basically uh, grab those Aboriginals out of um, um, up in Arnhem Land. Um, I was going to say Maralinga, but not Maralinga. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the place. I can't. But, but that, that's basically for their education. They're not picking them as footballers. Um, and St. Pat's in Ballarat has, st- has started about five years ago doing the same thing. And once again, basically is around, around education for the Aboriginal kids who might not get access to that. So fantastic from those schools. And there's the odd school here like Scotch and that take salmon. But I said you need to get moving on this more and get more schools taking more of the Aboriginal kids and get them into that schooling because of the Cyril. I mean, the Cyril Rioli story was a great story. Now, his parents sent him to Scotch as a 14-year-old. Um, and, you know, when we interviewed him, I said, how'd you cope with it? He said, I want to go back home. But I survived and, you know, he ended up being a, a star. And I said, well, well, this should be more of it. I'm a bit disappointed that it hasn't moved quicker in that area. It's way better than it was, but it, she's a tough environment to survive in. And they're just coming, a lot of them are coming from a way different background to most of us, way different background. We can't comprehend some of the backgrounds. And we've seen, I mean, the other great example, Sydney Stack. Mm. Uh, look, you know, troubled background. Congrats to Richmond. I don't know if there's too many other coaches in the comp who would have taken in Sydney Stack and live in his house for three months. Uh, they might say so now, but I don't know if too many would have done that. And I reckon that's paved the way for him to be able to handle the system. So congrats to uh, Richmond on on that, we need to get better at that. And I'm not sure he's in charge of it, to tell the truth, but we need to get better at that. Can um, I ask you one last question about that? You can't be accused of the things that you were accused of being without it cutting you. So for three days, I didn't sleep. You know, people in the media making judgments who had no idea what they were talking about and had no idea what transpired. They were just making assumptions. That's okay. That's their job to do that. But for three days, and then I, I'm sitting there, and um, I, uh, I've gone, hang on, I'm trying to help, not hinder. I said, I'm trying to make it better. 
not worse. And when I sort of came to that epiphany, if you like, I was fine after that. It was good, just moved on, got going again. But, um, yeah, I must admit for three days I I, I could understand where uh, a little bit, not not the whole lot, about people when they get depression about, you know, what they're feeling like. Recovered okay, no damage done. Um, you know, my family's been great. Like my brother's been 20 years working at Ross Trevor with, and he looks after the Aboriginal kids. So, yeah, I have great conversations with them about it. And my sister's now in charge of a school as a principal signed a four-year contract. She's into her second year at St Mary's. We've come to the end of our chat, Matty. Uh, the one last thing that I wanted to clear up was your nickname in your playing days was Bundy. Yes. It wasn't well, because of the drink, though, was it? No, it wasn't. I didn't like Bundy, but um, I remember one night we trained at some oval near the Felly Woman's Prison and we had to park around the oval and put our lights on so we could truck <laughs> on the car. But our home base was Northcote's ground. Northcote's ground was a disaster. I mean, your fed income, it was sand-based, but you'd, if it rained, you sunk in six inches back in those days, half a foot, you'd sing at the ground. We had to call off training numerous times because we couldn't train on it. But also, the weights were in a little shed, so if the weather was good, we used to open up the shed, bring all the weights out into the open, do the weights in, in the, uh, and then we'd have to put them all back afterwards and go and train. I did a hamstring early in that season. I might have not looked after myself that well, Peter, and I'm running around the Oval uh, after I sort of half recovered and come good, and Michael Nettlefold was running about 10 metres behind me, and he said, he started laughing, I could hear him, because I used to I used to have a real go at him all the time, old uh, Fred Astaire, he was a big lair he was. He said, have a look at big King Kong Bundy, and I started laughing straight away, because I knew what he was talking about, because King Kong Bundy was a, was a wrestler at the time. He weighed 400 pounds. Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. It's funny how those... They, they stick those nicknames, don't they? Uh, it's nice to finish with a smile on our faces, and we've had yeah. plenty of those over the last hour. It's been good to see you, mate. It's been a remarkable journey in football. Uh, great to catch up. Thanks for coming in. Love to the missus. Yes, I will pass that on. Good. Um, and it's been really good to see you. Thanks for sharing your story with us. We're all still alive, Pete. We That's are. good. We are. Hit, Just a bit greyer than we were in the old days. Hit mate. 60 a month ago. I'm still going. I'm, I'm now the oldest... Uh, living male Rendell in the last hundred years. So, <laughs> here's to that. We haven't got a good history, the Rendell males. Right. Well, we better have a, a quiet one at some yeah. stage to celebrate that. Okay. Thanks, Matty. Thanks, Matt. Matt Rendell joining us on this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funeral celebrating lives. We'll be back with another great story same time next week. Hope you can join us then. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.